Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundam, Communications Director at MAPS, and today we're speaking about engaging stakeholders to generate insights with Lance Hill, CEO of Within3, and Natalie DeMombro, Vice President of Learning and Development at Within3. This episode is made possible by Within3, whose insights management platform helps life science companies identify the right people, actively engage them, and get answers that inform strategic decisions. So Lance, last time we talked about how to find the right experts, and now we're taking the next step and looking at how to engage these experts, and specifically how to engage experts in a way that creates insights. So it used to be that we would engage experts by walking into their offices. Can you give us the uh, lay of the land on how this has changed? Sure. Yeah. Usually uh, the headset has always been, we are engaging people by either walking in their offices or for engaging them in groups. We're flying them all to the hotel in Dallas and we're going to spend a day or two with an agenda and, and a whole cohort of people and, and kind of have a variety of things we're going to talk about. Um, and what both of those techniques have in common is they're really logistically challenging for the audience. Yeah. They have to be available kind of when you can be available for them. Um, it becomes increasingly complex if it's a group. They all have to be kind of paying attention and, and ready to engage with you and using all of their brains being actively invested in, in, in talking with you versus kind of multitasking or part-time. Um, and so that logistic challenge and how much planning and how precious those few moments during the year where you get that chance to be in their office are really causes the, the industry to think about this as I have these three or four episodes to really engage with someone. And that's quite different than where technology is now, where you have the ability to engage people anytime and all the time in a variety of different methods. And that's what what we you know what I find very fascinating, where how industry has started to think about that and bring that into their headset. Well, okay, so Natalie, I, I think that the frequency of engagement that that is facilitated by having an easier mechanic, you know, you're not flying everybody to Dallas seems one major benefit of whatever you want to call hybrid or or virtual interactions. Are there other benefits? You know, I've heard about diversity and inclusivity of discussions. Are there benefits to the kinds of insights that you get from a more technologically aided interaction? Yeah, I mean, what we have, you know, what we see in the industry is that Previously, everything was kind of around a one-time event. You're fitting 12 people around that table that Lance mentioned. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was the, sometimes the same 12 people or, or, or similar backgrounds or similar status within the industry. And now, you know, you see different therapeutic areas, you see different practice um, types, you see different regions, you see underserved populations. So, you know, diversity is is one thing, but also inclusivity. I think before it was an exclusive, you know, an exclusive event that was happening. And we really try to weed out, you know, as many people as possible because we couldn't afford to have so many people around the table. And now it's just a different, it's a different headset, a different lens. It's a rethink about more voices, increasing your sample size of the insights that you're getting so that it is a, a broader sense and maybe a more, you know, accurate picture of what reality is. 
Lance, let's dig in on that. So our diversity and inclusivity, if I can say it, inclusivity, are, are, they, are they different things? Are we talking about two distinct things here? I, I think so, at least in the way I think about them. Um, maybe these aren't the, the standard industry definitions, but I think of inclusivity really along the lines of what Natalie was just talking about, which is, am I getting a, a relative sample of my entire population that I care about involved with me, engage with me? Or am I only getting, for example, the top five KOLs or the top 10 KOLs helping me form my strategy? Am I bringing patients in as I'm designing clinical studies? Am I bringing payers and, and, and health economics people in as early as possible? Am I talking not just to the KOLs? Am I talking to you know, field practitioners? Am I talking to nurse practitioners? Am I talking to, you know, am I talking to the physician assistant around reimbursement? Am I, am I looking at all of that, that cohort and, and am I able to bring them in? So I, I view that as inclusivity. And, and even now it's in terms of underserved populations. Um, am I really understanding the, the regional differences or the socioeconomic differences that exist for me in, in my disease area and in bringing that all in in an inclusive fashion? Diversity of voices is a, is a whole different thing. Um, you know, so what happens a lot in a kind of live bi-directional setting. So right, right now I'm talking, Natalie isn't getting to, you're not getting to because I just talk on and on and on. Um, and so if this <laughs> was the case, yeah. So if this was the case, you're not really getting as diverse an audience, as diverse of a voice, even with the people you're bringing to the table as you can, because only one person can kind of be dominating. And let's face it, usually when we're talking in medical and especially when we're talking with kind of high powered physicians, um, a lot of them have very dominating personalities and they can really drown out the rest of, of the room purposefully or not. And so I think different technologies offer the ability to have everybody's voice have an equal footing, remove some of those social and, and kind of technological competition for airtime, pull those out of the situation. And so that you're getting a broader spectrum of, of insights coming in not just confirmation bias from the same people you've been talking to probably for the last seven years or whatever the case might be. Okay, so Natalie, is there still a role for real-time engagement or are we moving to a world where, where we're just going to overtime? Uh, I don't mean overtime, but overtime <laughs> engagement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think the real-time opportunities are, are just really more critically thought about. So if you're going to take the time and gather people um, in a room or around a table or even in a webcast, as we're doing now, you want to make sure the time is engaging, it's interactive, it's two-way, you have enough time for everybody to talk, and you're coming to some consensus. There's a reason that it has to be live and, and real-time. So, you know, Companies now are using the asynchronous or the overtime type of engagement to gather insights, data, you know, when you're talking about really detailed or nuanced protocols development, you know, getting the end, the endpoints, the um, just the different criteria kind of hammered out ahead of time so that the live time is used for, you know, what didn't we cover there? You know, where didn't we come to agreement? And then it becomes a very useful and productive discussion. If you're using the live time in a 
you know, for a didactic presentation where you don't want anybody to respond back. It's really not a good use of, of that time. And it's so hard to schedule. That's what we're seeing. Our companies are rethinking the way that they use the live part of their tool set um, overall. So get the data ahead of time, follow up with data afterwards, put the questions online afterwards, get more insight afterwards. But the live time should really be two-way discussion and everybody should have a chance to talk. So you kind of have to even work out the, the calculation of that. How many people are on how much do you want them to contribute and what's the expectation there? That's really interesting. So it used to be when we only had the option for real-time engagement that we had to do all of these activities in real time. And now it's it sounds like you're saying we, we can and should and are uh, optimizing the, the, you know, we're doing the best things asynchronous and, and we're using live time for very different things. Lance, what do, what do you think about that? What is the best use of asynchronous and what is the best use of real-time engagement? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I think about it a couple of ways. So generally speaking and, and kind of building on what you, you were both just discussing, your live engagement is your most expensive engagement. Yep. And so you want to get the best return on that engagement. So if you, you ask yourself, I just came out of a meeting and on a scale of one to 10, 10 being I got like every second of that meeting was crucially valuable to me. And one being I fell asleep for 55 minutes of the meeting. Where are you? Um, and what you want is nine or 10 out of 10 on every one of those. And when you actually look at how a live meeting is structured, a good percentage of it is here's the intro. Here's the hi, how are you? Here's the flipping through the agenda. Here's the, here's other things that aren't that nine or 10 out of 10. And so by mixing asynchronous or varying engagement types together, the one way to look at it is when you, you can maximize your ROI on the live meeting because you're not wasting time with things that could be done in a less expensive venue. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is these are different tools. So there are things that you're going to do. If, if I want to get into a really in-depth discussion with a group of people around evaluate this uh, clinical protocol, and give me really in-depth discussion, kind of page by page and, and point the things that don't make sense. Yep. Putting that up on a screen with 12 people and saying, everyone just kind of start throwing ideas out is not a, a useful thing to do in that sort of venue because it, the, the information is very deep. It's very scientific. It's very detailed. People need time to think and consider and react mm -hmm. as opposed to if I am in a scenario where I'm entering a therapeutic area and I'm really trying to get to know some of the key opinion leaders in that therapeutic area. And I'm really showing them some surface level things. I just kind of want their reaction to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's great in a, in a kind of a real time setting. And if you can have it live, that's where you'd prefer to have it. If you can't do that, you'll do it on a zoom or something. But so, so both the, 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 the outputs you can get from different venues differ. Yeah. Um, but also the way you can maximize the ROI of your most expensive venues by mixing in the lower cost digital options is also a critical way to think about it. Yeah, I, I see you nodding. Go ahead, Natalie. <laughs> I'm going to add one more thing. It's something that I think, you know, clients and companies didn't think about until, until now, but the, the global aspect and the, the language barriers that happen in live. So, Companies yeah. use the, the asynchronous platform 
you know, if you have a mix of people from different backgrounds, origins, different languages, they are able to actually speak to each other. Whereas in a live setting, there is a lot of um, bias there to that, you know, the host language, whoever's hosting the, the event. So it's another good reason to, to go async. Or just different time zones, for gosh sake. So wow. you don't have your uh, your important external stakeholders up at one in the at one in the morning. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. It almost is a rethink on the way we run meetings. Um, it's it sounds like it sounds to me like there's a lot of prep. You know, asking how how can I best get the information that I need, or or you know how can I get the insights, the strategic insights that I need, in the most efficient way. And some of those may come from asynchronous, mm -hmm. and then you're really optimizing the use of that precious real time use. Well, so when when we talk about engagements, I think everyone looks outside the organization right? Everyone looks externally. They say, how can we find the key opinion leaders or how can we, Lance, we talked about influencing networks. Um, what do you see in engaging internal stakeholders? Is, is this staying real time? Are we having the same meetings we're already having? Or, or is internal engagement changing as well? Well, and as a trainer, I'm a little bit biased because most of the training, you know, that we do is, is um, async and we try to use those non-real-time, you know, venues when we can. But everybody, you know, everyone was connecting asynchronously prior, but it was just using email or maybe a, a messaging channel. And that, that was asynchronous on their own time, but there was no real organization to it. It's just kind of when, it's like texting, when you think to do it, you message somebody or you email somebody. So it isn't really an organized group activity that's moving along. So if you have an instance where you want an internal team to move along the same timeline, having one-off, one-on-one asynchronous conversations may not be the best way to do it. So how can we gather them, give them deadlines and milestones together? And typically an asynchronous platform would be a way to do it. So training is the perfect place to start that internally, because usually training, we're all trying to move towards the same deadline or milestone with learning something internally. But there's lots of other um, uses, you know, for these types of technologies uh, internally, just breaking down some of the silos that we have naturally by not being able to include everybody virtually. Um, you know, think about who, who would be interested in knowing what we're talking about, figuring out ways to get video out, you know, on demand, um, you know, that way. So there's all sorts of ways to think about it. And previously it was just kind of emails and, and messages, but now it's on-demand portals and videos and asynchronous sessions that move along. You didn't uh, used to be able to bring everybody in and now you can bring everybody in. Sorry, Lance, go ahead. <laughs> okay. The other thing is, is technologically too. So I think when, when people think, oh, we're going to do some of this inside the our firewall with our employees, you know, the default is thinking like a paradigm, like Microsoft Teams or something like that, where it's kind of like, here's kind of an Office 365 sort of thing online that we can all just kind of come into. And it's and kind of, it's very much like what, what Natalie's talking about. It's almost like if you go into one of those environments, it's like we're saying we're going to have a soccer match, but there's no coach. Everyone has to keep time and know when the period ends on their own. No one has pre-assigned any position because it just assumes everyone's kind of in the same position. Um, and just go and we'll see how the soccer match goes. It really relies very heavily on the group to kind of understand structure, monitor what's happening. And so that's good for very kind of lightweight sort of spontaneous, you know, there's no real 
work. There's no agenda. There's, there's no outcome that has to happen. Um, the tools now add that layer on top, the coaching, the timekeeping, the direction, the, oh, cool. you know, the, the, the rules when there's a foul in the game, you know, the, the red flag, the, the systems have that now. And so that makes the ability to get work done internally at a different level than simply saying, let's all log into to teams and I'll put a document on, on, you know, the shared drive and we can start working on it together. And again, it's like, what forum, what structure gives you what you need is, is the platform that you choose. And, you know, again, real time or asynchronous are all of these things driven by predicting and, and, and choosing the types of information and insights that you want ahead of time. Do you need to know what you want and then you go get it? Or do you set up forums and, and, and let them give you things that you don't know you already want? Do you have to know what insights you're fishing for? I think you have to know the type of insights you're fishing for, but not what the insights are. Cool. If you know you're looking for a feedback on data that you've just released or published, you kind of have, you, you know, that you're looking to create a patient case uh, together. You know, that you're, you're working on, you know, reviewing speaker materials for up, upcoming series. If you know the type of thing you're looking for, you may not know what the answers are. Is this, is this a great patient case document or a terrible one? But if you know, that's the sort of thing you're looking for, then you can say, okay, which venues or combinations of the venues, you don't have to just pick one. You can have a program that uses more than one at a time, which venues give you the best result. And, and an organization that kind of has all those tools in their toolkit is much better positioned to be much more efficient, effective, and, and interact with their, their clients better. Um, so that's kind of how you think about it. Within any of the particular venues, you can get an insight that you weren't expecting at all. Yeah, sure. And like, oh my goodness, this blew me away. I, I didn't even think about that. But each venue is, is um, each different sort of venue leans towards a different type of way of, of people interacting with you. And Natalie, do people in medical affairs teams know what venues get you what kind of insights? Or is this a real learning that still has to happen in medical affairs? It seems that it's happening. We're in the middle of it. Um, I think <laughs> people are starting to rethink it. Um, I think we just, you know, I came from a, a meeting planning background with advisory boards and speaker trainings. And I always thought in time blocks, you know, we had eight hours or we have three days. What can we fit into that time? So it took me a while to just rethink that and to be goal oriented. So now we look at an overall plan for the year. We look at the next, you know, six month strategy and we say, what are the goals here we're looking to accomplish? Who do we need to hear from? You know, why, why do we need to show this video? What are we looking to get back? And then you're kind of mix and matching those tools. I think it just, for some of us who've been in the industry a little while, it, it is doing things differently. So, you know, if you haven't done it that way before, it does take a little bit more time, but it's definitely in process. I mean, it, it had to happen over the past year because the goals were the same and the strat, you know, the strategic initiatives for the teams were the same, but the venues needed to change. So now it, it is happening. We are in the midst of it. So the venues change, we can get <laughs> what we need uh, in, in more efficient ways with some thought uh, and some help <laughs> and some planning. <laughs> so let's, let's leave it there for today. Thanks Lance and Natalie. 
Uh, to learn more about how your organization can partner with Within3, visit within3.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.